Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you this week to talk about a topic that came from one of our listeners, and that is creating wealth without 1031s. There's a lot of talk these days about potential changes in the tax code. And we're going to do a series on that down the road here. But let's all ignore that for now and just take a look at how you can create wealth investing in multifamily without using the 1031. Now, we like 1031s. We want to continue to use them. And there are ways to do what we like to do without using a 1031. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. So you can learn how to build multi-generational wealth without relying on 1031s. As always, if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. Swing by the Learning Center at marapolling.com for lots of other great content. M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G dot com. And with that, let's, uh, let's dive into this week's topic. If you have been a listener of the, our podcast for any length of time, you know that we like 1031s or sale exchanges or Starker exchanges or whatever term you want to use for it. We like the idea that we can sell an asset take the tax exposure from that sale and roll it into a new asset so that we kick that can down the road. Now, eventually that tax gets paid, except in one extreme situation. So nobody's getting out of paying taxes. But we're paying them later, and we get an interest-free loan, essentially, by doing that. So that's a good thing. And that exists because... As a community, as a society, we've made a decision that investing in real estate development, investing in that infrastructure, is a good thing for the private sector to do, and here's a way that we collectively can support that. Now, as I said, there's a lot of talk going on these days about potential changes to the tax code. One, nothing's happened yet, so let's not get the cart in front of the horse here. And number two... The items that are up for discussion, whether they all happen or some or whatever, ultimately they don't change the basic fact that people need a home to live in, that a significant portion of the population rents their home and will do so for some extended period of time, that there is a supply-demand imbalance in that space that actually could be amplified by some of these potential changes, and that we continue to see very favorable treatment of real estate as an investment from the tax standpoint, even with some of the changes that might be afoot. But we don't want to talk about that today. So we're going to set all that stuff aside for another day. And instead, what we're going to talk about is how we can create wealth if we don't use 1031s. Now, I know for a fact that a number of you that are listening to me today don't use 1031s. You have assets that you have held for extended periods of time, 
and you use some of the techniques I'm going to describe today to build the wealth of your investment portfolios. And we're going to take a look at how you do that. Doesn't mean we don't like 1031s anymore. We still like 1031s, but you need a lot of different tools in your toolkit. And what we're going to talk about today is one of the ways you can deal with that. So let's, let's set up an example here that we can use to walk through this and get an understanding of how the strategy we want to employ might compare with a 1031. So we're going to start with a $20 million asset. Now, I'm using a $20 million asset because it's a nice round number and it gives us some scale to be able to talk about. Obviously, this could happen if you had a million dollar property or if you had a hundred million dollar property. We're just going to use a $20 million uh, multifamily property as a starting point. In our experience, that $20 million asset takes about an $8 million capital investment over its lifetime to acquire it, operate it, and ultimately exit it someday. You've got a 75% mortgage, we'll say, so that's a $15 million loan on that property. And over the course of five, six, maybe seven years, it grows in value to be worth $24 million. So it's increased $4 million on our $8 million investment. So we've seen a 50% increase over seven years, so a little over 7% equity growth. And at the same time, we've probably seen a similar amount of cash that's been thrown off at the property. So when you add those two together, we're 14 15%. Essentially, we've doubled our money in seven years. I, I use this as an example, and some of you may say, I, we've seen this before, and you're correct. Our, our multi-generational wealth discussions that we've had are built around this notion of doubling value over about a seven-year time frame. That's a conservative level of performance. There is absolutely opportunity to do so faster than that. Um, but let's, let's talk about this in a reasonable time frame, which means you could take a $1 million investment and at the end of seven years, it's $2 million. And at the end of 14 years, it's $4 million. And at the end of roughly 20 years, it's now $8 million. So one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight. I took a million dollars and turned it into $8 million in 20 years. And I did so with a, a very modest amount uh, or limited tax exposure. Now, I can do that with a 1031. I can also do more or less that same performance or certainly something on, along the same trend line using some other techniques. So let's go back to our example, our $20 million property. It's grown to be worth $24 million. And I don't want to do a 1031. Maybe I really like this property. It's, it means something to me. Uh, you know, maybe it's been in the family for some period of time, right? That could be a possibility. Uh, maybe I inherited this asset. It's also possible I just like it. And when I look around at alternatives, I don't see anything else that I would like to buy that's really radically different than what I already own. So why spend the money selling and buying just to be kind of where I am? So I'm going to stay put. So I'm going to continue to own this property that's now worth $24 million. But I've got 
at least $4 million of lazy equity in there. Now, I say at least $4 million because we've grown from $20 million to $24 million. But if this is an amortizing loan, meaning it's not just interest only, but I'm paying some principal payments, then I may not owe $15 million. I may owe you know, 14.7 or 14.5 or 14.3 or whatever the number might be. I may owe something less than that original 15. For the example we're going to do here, we're going to, we're going to assume we were interest only for this entire time frame. So it's still a $15 million loan. Well, there's $4 million in new equity that has grown. And this $24 million property can now sustain a higher debt load both in terms of the fact that it is throwing off more cash. Why? Because NOI is higher. How do I know NOI is higher? Well, the growth in NOI is what would have driven the increase in value from $20 million to $24 million, all other things being equal. It's possible cap rates could have moved in an unfavorable manner, uh, which means we had even more NOI growth, and cap rates could have reduced a little bit. So there could be some cap rate movement there, but... Let's, again, set that aside. So my NOI has grown. I'm throwing off more cash, which means I've got a higher debt cover so I can sustain more debt on this property. So I could go out and I could do a number of things. I could put supplemental debt on this asset. And what that means is a second mortgage, right? So I've got an original loan for $15 million. I go out and say, I'd like to borrow another $3 million, where does $3 million come from? Why that number? Well, we've got an additional $4 million in equity. 75% of that is $3 million. That would bring my total indebtedness on the property to $18 million. $18 million is 75% of $24 million. So we're staying at that same 75% LTV. Some loans will have restrictions on them such that you can't uh, put supplemental debt on that would take you above the original LTV. So if my original loan, say it only been 70%, well, then I'd be capped at 70%. And there's also some timing issues. If I only have a few years left on the loan, a supplemental wouldn't really be available. And in that instance, what I might do is I might simply refinance my debt. So I would get a new loan, a new $18 million loan, and I would pay off the existing $15 million loan. And depending upon how long I've held the property and what's gone on with interest rates, I might see some additional financial impacts that are a function of, um, a function of changes in the interest uh, environment, interest rate environment. So again, let's set that aside so we don't get confused with those kinds of changes as well. So I can now borrow out $3 million. Well, what can I do with that $3 million? I could have a big party, right? <laughs> I could just say, hey, great, I've got $3 million. I'm, I'm going to use it for stuff. I'm going to travel the world or pay for grandkids' education or build myself in a second home at uh, some beautiful uh, resort location. Uh, if there's a group of investors, we could all decide that we're going to distribute it and everyone could do some things with it. Um, Cash proceeds from a loan like this generally are not subject to any tax exposure. I say generally because you should always talk to your CBA about your particular tax situation before you undertake any of these kinds of strategies to make sure that 
It's not by virtue of a number of other factors, potentially causing some tax issues for you. So there's a lot that you could do with it. For our strategy of trying to build wealth, we would want to take that $3 million and put it to work. So if I took that $3 million, um, $3 million and I went out and invested it, again, using that same sort of 40% kind of number, I would be able to purchase about a $7.5 million property. So now I've got a $24 million property, and I've got a $7.5 million property. So I own $31.5 million worth of real estate. Wow, that's pretty good. If I did a 1031, right? If I took my 20 million that grew to 24 and I cashed out, and when I cash out, I'm gonna have about $12 million. I get my original eight plus the four million I made. So I've got about 12 million, and these are very rough numbers. But that 12 million can turn into about $30 million. So in this scenario, I'm potentially gonna have a little more real estate than I would if I'd have done a 1031. But for horseshoes and hand grenades, close is good enough, and we should call both of these about the same. So whether you do a 1031 or you do a cash out through a refinance or a supplemental loan, and then reinvest those dollars in a new asset, you end up with about the same size uh, portfolio from that particular standpoint. Now, what happens in terms of the financial performance? In a 1031, I, if I'm earning, again, we're going to talk about that maybe 7% cash number. If I'm earning, say, 7% cash during my first four, five, six, seven years, and I go buy a new asset, a new $30 million asset, but I buy the same type of asset with the same sort of structure and the same return profile, then I would see 7% again. But that's a 7% return on the $12 million I invested, but I really only invested $8 million because $4 million of that is house money, for lack of a better word. Therefore, that 7% is more like 10, 10.5, even 11% in terms of a cash performance. So I'm getting a pretty nice cash performance by doing a 1031. What's it look like if I do this loan strategy where I'm either using supplemental debt or a refinance in order to pull this lazy equity out? Well, that $3 million, if it generates this 7% kind of number, is going to boost my overall cash to 9.5, maybe somewhere even close to 10%, something in that neighborhood. So a little less than the 1031, um, but not by a significant amount and significantly higher than what I was earning uh, before from that standpoint. I'm also in a, in a position here, you'll notice that the $4 million that I grew in value, when I go to borrow it out, I don't borrow the entire $4 million. Uh, a million stays in there and, and continues to be buried in the project. And let's say I do this by virtue of a refinance. Well, in a few more years, I could go through the exact same again as my $24 million asset becomes a $30 million asset, I can now borrow 75% of that $6 million gain out, so $4.5 million. And oh, by the way, my $7.5 million asset has also grown in value. 
and it's now worth maybe nine million, nine and a half million, something like that. So I've got a million or a million and a half dollars I can pull out there. So you can see where this goes, that I can build a ladder of properties, starting with one solid asset, and as it grows in value, I can harvest the lazy equity, put it to work in new properties, and then they will both grow alongside. And then I can do it again, taking the lazy equity in those two properties and putting it into a third, and do it again, and then into a fourth. And now I've built myself a fairly robust portfolio all based on one initial investment, right? I haven't put any more money in than that original $8 million. And in the scenario I'm describing, I'm using the cash that gets thrown off. That's 7% a year in this example I'm doing stuff with, right? I'm taking vacations. I'm putting my grandkids through, uh, through college or paying off their student loan debt, or I'm uh, involved in charity work and doing some of the philanthropy that I've wanted to do in my life. Whatever it might happen to be, I'm using those dollars at the same time that I'm growing wealth. And you've heard us talk about this before. It's the goose and the golden egg, right? So we want those golden eggs we don't want to harm our goose, right? We want that goose to be healthy. So we want our properties to be secure and stable and perform well over time. And we're going to be very happy with golden eggs that come our way, right? We'll take that cash, but we want the goose to keep growing and become more and more uh, substantial. And in doing so, the cash that gets thrown off grows, as opposed to I've got a $20 million property that grew to $24 million. Let's sell the whole thing and take, and look, I've got $12 million now. Yes, you could do that, but we could take that $8 million and we can turn it into $100 million using this strategy simply by having time do this work for us. And again, if you use seven years, and I, I think this is just a good roundish kind of number, if you use seven years, that's a pretty modest level of performance. It's sub 15% on a simple return basis, on an annual basis, and that assumes that you put all of the cash back in in order to hit those doublings. If you use the cash, you're still going to see significant growth. You're going to grow by 50% every seven years. And for those of you that are listening that are my age, right, that are in their 60s and you're looking to the future, you've still got a 20-year time horizon in front of you. That's three of these cycles that you could experience. If you're in your 40s, you might see six of these cycles. And especially if you're in a position where you don't need the cash today, that this, this cash is for future use as maybe part of retirement income, you could, you could see some doublings in that first, second, even third cycle. And while a 1031 has absolutely has advantages, it gives us a little more capital to work with. It's going to produce a little higher cash uh, return. Uh, and it also gives me the ability to, over time, relocate and reallocate my assets. So if I buy a really good quality asset, um, it should be something we can hold 10 years. Can I hold it 30 years? 
I don't know what might go on in that submarket over 30 years. If I'm doing a 1031, I can move those dollars from submarket to submarket so that I'm continually in a market that I feel confident about over, say, a 10-year time horizon. So there's absolutely reasons that we really do like 1031s, and we'll continue to have them in our toolkit and utilize them. And at the same time, you don't always have to do a 1031. There are lots of other ways to skin that cat, and this is something you should consider. So when you're doing your modeling, or if you're investing with a sponsor like Mara Poling, you should be looking at how they potentially manage all this. Now, one final thought I want to leave you with, and that is, I'm going to answer the question that I know some of you are going to have, and that is, this sounds fantastic. I don't have $8 million. How do I do this? Um, and the answer of, well, buy a smaller property, well, that doesn't work, right? Okay, I'll buy a $4 million property. I don't have $1.6 million. I've got $50,000 or $100,000 or a couple hundred thousand dollars. Well, that's why people like me exist. The syndicators, sponsors, asset managers, whatever term you want to use for folks like Bill and I that do the kind of work that we do, we exist so that investors can invest at scale, that you can invest in 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars worth of multifamily real estate and do so, in our instance, with as little as 100,000 or even as little as $25,000 for, for our Class B investments in the total return fund. And that's our encouragement to everyone, is find a way to get some multifamily into your portfolio. At a minimum, whether it's with us or someone else, get in on a minimum investment somewhere. It's a great educational experience. You will make some money over time. Um, that's certainly a reasonable expectation to have. Um, but you can begin this process. And one thing that you saw as I went through the methodology here, whether it's a 1031 or this uh, debt to free up lazy equity strategy, time is ultimately the tool that is most valuable. The more time you have, the more years or decades you have, then the more of these cycles you'll be able to go through. And you'll see either 50% or 75% or 100% growth, and you just keep turning that handle. And you can relax a little bit and not be overly concerned about what changes might occur over time in portions of the tax code. Because again, as, as we said at the beginning here, you can really ignore a lot of that. And if changes do come that have an impact, as an example, on 1031s, which we don't know yet, but if that were to happen, there's lots of other ways for us to continue to own real estate and participate in real estate and do so over longer periods of time and grow our portfolios and create wealth that are also tax efficient. And then in the future, when there's another change in the tax code, because that not that kind of always how it works, uh, then there will be an opportunity to reevaluate what might be done relative to those assets. So I hope you found this week's topic of value. If you have a portfolio and you're thinking about doing a 1031 and you're now thinking, maybe I shouldn't do that, maybe I should borrow out, I encourage you model that out. If you have questions or would like some help, I'm happy to chat with you about that. Again, pat at marapolling.com. 
If you are not yet a multifamily investor, I'd encourage you, go to, go to our website, go to marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com, download our information kit. Now, our investors are required to be accredited investors. I encourage you, go take a look at the information. Get some education out of it. If you're an accredited investor, fantastic. If you aren't sure, that's okay too. Reach out to me. We can help you go through that process and determine if, in fact, you're going to meet those uh, standards set by the SEC. And even if you're not yet an accredited investor because you're not quite at the level that the SEC has drawn those lines, that's okay. You still want to get the education and looking at how syndications and investments like we offer and others offer uh, is very helpful and can help you uh, understand better how that space is going to operate. Uh, and maybe you start with an investment of your own. Maybe you go buy a duplex or, or go make an investment with some family and, uh, and friends and get your start in multifamily that way. But we absolutely encourage you, get some multifamily in your portfolio so you can get started on this wealth creation journey. With that, I hope you have a great rest of your week. And please join me next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.